loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Tie ball game. Here's a shot, Julius. He scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied. Here is Durant moving on Tucker. He turns. He shoots. Yes! Talking Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association, this is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. What's cooking, everybody? I'm Colin Lochran, along with Chris Persianen and Riley Lucas. This is Pick and Pod, WFUV Sports NBA podcast. Riley, Chris, glad to be back with you in studio finally after what was quite a long wait. We'll talk Knicks, Nets. Switch over to the Celtics. A little bit of trade talk here and there. Before we get to any of it, though, Chris, my friend, how you doing today? Listen, man, I, it's finals week, so I think that's <laughs> self-explanatory. I have a podcast to record about Tibetan religion and Buddhism Oof. today, um, and I have three final projects to do by like this weekend slash next Wednesday. So I, I'm feeling chaotically disorganized, disheveled. Um, and overall just in poor spirits, uh, but I'm always more excited and uh, just feeling positive in general when I do get to come on Pick and Pod um, because I, that's all I do all day anyways. Well, yap we're, about we're, the NBA. We're so. glad to have you here as always. Riley, how is this week treating you? Are you ready to talk some hoops? I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat with Chris with the finals and all the projects, but I'm ready to talk basketball. I mean, the Nets are fourth in the East now, so I'm happy. I'm feeling good. I don't know how much longer that one's going to stay, <laughs> but for right now, you can be glad. Durant and Irving playing well when they're on the court, that is. We'll get to that. But I want to start on 34th Street with those New York Knicks. Big win over the Atlanta Hawks. A little bit of a rivalry there stemming from a couple years ago, that matchup in the first round of the playoffs over in the East. They win 113-89, to 34 points, 17 boards for Julius Randle, 23 points. For Quentin Grimes, one of the kids, 8 of 11 shooting for him. I look at this Knicks team going forward, and there was a big rotation shakeup in that one, obviously, Chris. No Cam Reddish, no Fournier, no Rose. How do you see this shaping up? Because I don't know if that blueprint necessarily is sustainable as we go forward. Well, the Knicks just took a big hit with Obi Toppin going down with injury, but... Um, you look at some of the games they played with that rotation they used to have. Derek Rose coming in off the bench. Uh, they lost by 21 points to the Dallas Mavericks, who at one point they were up by 14 against uh, before halftime. Uh, that was December 3rd. November 25th, they were up 15 points on the Portland Trailblazers, who were without Damian Lillard. Trailblazers tied things up by halftime, took the game to overtime, and where Jeremy Grant posted a career high in points and free throws made and Josh Hart posted a career high in rebounds, the Blazers won in overtime. Both of those games at Madison Square Garden. You look a couple weeks before that Trailblazers game, the Knicks played the Hawks. Trey Young goes down in the third quarter because Julius Randle accidentally hit him in the face. What happens? DeJounte Murray looks like one of the top 10 players on the planet, which he is not, and the Hawks erase what was once a 23-point New York Knicks lead on their home court and win the game 112-99. to There's a lot of bad basketball being played at Madison Square Garden, particularly this season, but you look to these last two games, both at MSG, where the Knicks have deployed this nine-man rotation, where Deuce McBride, Miles Deuce McBride, um, someone who I identified at the time before that draft, I, I personally would have taken him in the top 25 
of that draft. The Knicks got him at 36. As a result, his offensive game wasn't ready uh, just yet, and he went to Westchester or whatever. He's playing now in these two games where Deuce McBride has played. The Knicks beat the Cavaliers 92-81. to Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland is a young and exciting backcourt that I have been tracking all season long. I have never seen a backcourt give them more problems defensively all this season thus far than Deuce McBride and Emmanuel Quickly. Quickly 6'3 with a 6'9 wingspan. McBride 6'2 with like a 6'8 wingspan. These guys are really lengthy and really just they're bulldogs on the defensive end. They want to go after the ball. Same thing with the Hawks. You know, Trey Young out there, 19 points for him, didn't even hit 20. Um, meanwhile, Deuce McBride had six assists. He had a steal. Um, the, these kids are playing well. I feel like the Nick fan base has been asking for the kids to play more for a very long time. And the answer was, oh, well, they're not ready yet. And we're going to play these veterans. Now the team has kind of turned away from veterans. As you said, Derek Rose and Evan Fournier, Cam Reddish played really poorly against Dallas that bought him a seat on the bench. Um, but Quentin Grimes, Miles McBride, really big parts of this rotation. Now, if Obi Toppin was in, the Knicks would only have one player in that nine-man rotation over 26 years old, and that would be Julius Randle, who's not even 30. So, you know, I, I think they're doing this youth movement thing for real, and it's looking good. I would buy this Knicks team right now. They are not exactly um, in possession of a stellar record. They're 12-13, and 13, but I thought this was a 40 one forty-two win team before the season, I would say buy them to keep on track and to keep going four eighty five hundred. Especially in an East that's very top heavy at the moment. Obviously, Boston, Milwaukee running away with those top two spots. Riley, I want to get your thoughts in just one moment. But you mentioned McBride there. To me, the key thing he learned at Westchester was an ability to play make. Six assists don't pop up out of nowhere. Something that I berated the Knicks for last year, and you'll remember this, Chris, we had conversations about it, was just their lack of assists, lack of playmakers. Or guys like 29th in the league? I think it was either 28th, 29th, something in that range. It was abysmal. This year, completely different situation because guys like IQ, McBride, Brunson, Brunson. being a stable force. Who? That's why I was so for the Brunson move. It's not that I felt he was a transcendent talent. But you need that guy that can just hold on to the rock, find the open man when he's cutting towards the basket. They didn't have that last year. And especially if you're a team like New York without a surplus of elite shooting. Exactly. Uh, Jalen Brunson is someone who, because of his, I will say, diminutive stature, has been forced to, throughout his career, perfect his footwork, perfect his handle to an extent where he can create space for himself no matter how poor the spacing is. And a lack of shot creators heightens the need for that playmaker or multiple playmakers in the Knicks case that are still growing. Riley, 12-13 and 13, where the Knicks are now, obviously trying to get into that play-in tournament, maybe get up to that six seed so they can be in the playoffs for sure. What do you see as this path for them going forward in terms of how to, you know, kind of delineate playing veterans versus playing the kids? I mean, right off rip, I am surprised at how the Knicks have been playing. I... 12 and 13, I mean, like Chris said, it's not a perfect record, but it's better than what I was expecting this season. Um, I think the OB Toppin injury is a huge hitter. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how the Knicks kind of handle that, what Tom Thibodeau will do with that, um, whether they're going to play RJ at the four or figure something else out. I I don't think they're going to uh, be a playoff contender for sure, but I will say that their season is a little more impressive than what I thought it was going to be. I don't think anyone was expecting great things from this Knicks team. It wasn't like we said they're going to beat a Milwaukee or Boston and mm -hmm. run away with the East. But I think there was the thought that you could sneak in. 
And I think with a potential Cam Reddish trade, I think that'll definitely benefit the team. I mean, what do you guys think with that? Who do you think would be a good fit? Well, this is the whole thing. I don't know if Reddish is somebody that you'd want to necessarily package away because, Chris, this team is struggling with rebounding as well. It has not been a strong suit of the team. When Mitch isn't out there, the Hartenstein minutes are not what I was hoping they would be at this time in the year. I think he's the type of guy in short spurts. He can be really damn good. But when he's out there for too long, I mean, it's like watching myself in a Y game chugging up and down the court. It's not much better. <laughs> it's not as swift as you'd like it to be. I, I think with Hartenstein, something to note is that um, what makes him unique as a basketball player, what, as someone who watched him with the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, oh, so you're an OG G, fan. back in 2017 <laughs> when they won the G championship, yeah. I liked Isaiah, Isaiah Hartenstein back then. Tracked him to the Los Angeles Clippers, really liked him, identified him as a target for the New York Knicks this past offseason. You would imagine I was happy when the team actually made a move to sign him. The thing is, though, that Tom Thibodeau and, and this Knicks team have a way they use centers. And, and there's a reason that Mitchell Robinson and Jericho Sims fit so seamlessly in the Knicks system. It's because the Knicks centers are expected to rebound the ball, protect the rim, but in the, by the means of blocking shots or just being a deterring presence. And the other thing they're expected to do is dunk the ball. Nick centers are not expected to dribble the ball. Nick centers are not expected to shoot the ball. Nick centers are not expected to pass the ball. Not only are they not expected to do any of these things, the offense doesn't really allow it for them. So you'll see Mitchell Robinson standing at the top of the key for 12 seconds looking for someone to get open as opposed to even looking at the basket because it's not in the game plan. And when you sign Isaiah Hartenstein, especially when you commit $8 million per season to him, you should be looking to utilize the parts about his game that make him special. Primarily, here's a really easy way to do it. Get him from the paint six feet up to the free throw line. And give him the ball in the post and let him find someone in the corner. Let him get a little fadeaway jumper up. You know, he's really good at floaters. Or may I add, get him to the corner. He can shoot the corner three. Yeah, mid-range. It's, it's not I'll like it's automatic, but I would give it a I'll shot. Give, I'll give him mid-range jumpers. With where I, they are, I'd give it a shot. It's not like you're blowing anyone out of the gate. No, nah, yeah, I just, I just think that he's a, I think he's a fake shooter. Like if you, Ooh, like okay. His percentages, I did a whole thread on this on Twitter over the offseason. When you look at the percentage of sh open three-point shots that he has, it's because defenses don't close out on him. If he's taking a three-point shot, that's an outcome of a play that defenses are fine with. It's a low percentage enough shot. So for me, mid-range, he can hit, but his floaters are really good too. And I just think for the Knicks, it makes me think if you're going to have a steal of a draft pick like Jericho Sims at 58 overall, then why sign Isaiah Hartenstein if you're going to use him and say, hey, be Jericho Sims? You have Jericho Sims. Just let Jericho Sims be Jericho Sims. So that's why I think if a team like the Los Angeles Clippers reaches out and says, hey, we'll give you two second-round picks to absorb Hartenstein into our traded player exception, the Knicks don't have to get anything back in return besides the two second-round picks. I think New York might look into that deal if they're feeling like they're going to keep Thibodeau around. For Reddish, I also think two second-round picks is the price point. They gave up the 19th pick in the NBA draft that ended up being Kai Jones. Um, haven't heard much about him, but unfortunately the Knicks took that draft pick they got and used it to acquire Cam Reddish, who they seem to have no plan for, including in their rotation. To well, me, that's a failure. If you're going to trade for a player, he doesn't get a rotation spot for a month before someone gets hurt. Why did you, why did you trade for him and why trade a first-round pick? I think it was a good bet. And I like the idea of a Nick team that knows that it needs talent taking a bet on a buy low like Cam Reddish. But then play him. Mm -hmm. If you're not going to play him, then trade him last season when he would have had 
more value. They could have gotten a first-round pick back from the Los Angeles Lakers last season. They passed on that and now are probably going to get two second-round picks if they deal him. I just think it's a mismanagement of their assets. I mean, what do you think about talks of a Lakers trade right now with Cam Reddish? Because I've heard that circling again. If, if they, I don't know if they have second-round picks to give. I know they have two first-round picks to give in 2027 and 2028 that are currently in, in draft talks, uh, trade talks, rather. But, uh, I, you know, if they offered a 2025 and 2026 second-round pick package for Cam Reddish, I, I think the Knicks should take that deal and also just acknowledge that they have a lot to learn from from mm-hmm. how they handled the situation because they handled it poorly see the trade talks that i uh came across online would be a potential trade deal where they would trade reddish and for they would trade reddish fournier and julius randall for russell westbrook i mean how would and you then they get the two first round picks but i heard that wasn't even in talks like, would they get the, no picks in in that, i wouldn't consider that in that i deal, wouldn't either if they get the two first round picks from the lakers that are unprotected for 2027 and mm-hmm. 2028 then you're in i would I would do that if it's for both first-round picks. And no, LA is not going to part with those. Exactly. Yeah. That's why it's not happening. If there are no picks involved and all you're doing is getting Westbrook to have him sit at home for the season, not play any minutes in the rotation, and just be a $45 million dead cap hit, mm-hmm. you're already doing that with Rose and Fournier. Just let, just let them do exactly. that. Just let them I mean, sit. I, I would not trade Randall for Westbrook if you're not getting draft compensation back. I think that's silly. And speaking about trades and things of this nature, we're getting close to that season. Still not knocking on the door, so to speak. But Hawks didn't look too hot against the Knicks. Someone they were missing very much, John Collins. Pretty coveted forward at one time. Maybe not as much now, but could be on the chopping block. Guys, I've heard L.A., I've heard Brooklyn in those talks. What is the best destination for him going forward? Or is it just staying put in Atlanta? I think he's got to go. I think the culture there is no bueno right now. Uh, I've heard personally um, that that Trey not going to that game because of that argument with McMillan is a way bigger deal than the team made it seem and like. And they, they won't give details they about won't, that yeah, either. Because it's mm-hmm. a bigger deal than they're making it seem like. They're trying to downplay it. Apparently within the locker room, there's a lot of tension because of that right now. And uh, I've heard this is the worst the Hawks locker room has been. Like, worse than when Cam Reddish wanted out and there was kind of a rotten apple in the locker room. Now listen... I've, I'm going to throw my tinfoil hat on just for a second. <laughs> so, you know, forgive me here as I get a conspiracy theory going. But oh it was December 1st, the exact date that John Collins' injury was announced. Here was a timetable given. Hawks John Collins is expected to miss a minimum of two weeks due to his left ankle sprain. He suffered the injury Wednesday night, came out of the game, tests today, confirmed it's a sprain. Two weeks for an ankle sprain? I don't know. I feel like that's a three, four week. If it's a bad ankle sprain. It's a longer ordeal. Mm-hmm. I, all right. So listen, two weeks exactly from December 1st is December 15th. <laughs> I didn't See, think I know too. math. I and know what math. what is the exact date on the NBA's collective bargaining agreement for when contracts signed in the off season are allowed to be traded and be included in deals? What's the exact date? The 15th, my friend. So- if the timetable for John Collins' injury is at least two weeks, does Atlanta already have a deal done for him? I, from from what the signals are saying, when there's we know in the NBA, there's a lot of drama in this league. There's a lot of <laughs> trades. The stars move often. When there is smoke, there's fire. there is a fire every single time. Every time. When there's smoke, there's arson. Every single time. <laughs> Tampering, you know, whatever's going on. I mean, listen, I think we see John Collins... 
in a different jersey before January. And I think if to answer your question about the best fit, you got to look at what he was in Atlanta, which is not a shot creator, not a good defender. He's a very good play finisher. He can't create plays. He's not the LeBron. He's mm-hmm. the AD. He's the guy who finishes. He's the final combo, right? The alley-oop to Collins, the corner three Collins, mid-range pull-up, whatever it is, he can do those things to play finish. So it's got to be a team that wants to win now and has an initiator. So, like, for example, if the Orlando Magic wanted to trade for him, I would say don't do it. Keep, you know, your young core. Get Scoot Henderson in this upcoming draft. Get Amen Thompson in this upcoming draft. However, if a team... Like like the Atlanta Hawks that has some, but a team like the <laughs> Dallas Mavericks who has someone like Luca, mm-hmm. would they send the Hawks Christian Wood, who's on an expiring deal, and draft compensation to swap him for Collins, who's signed for several years, so Dallas can have that bigger name? What you know? I can, think, can I see it? Yes. Do I think it's likely? I I don't know. I just think it's got to be a team with an initiator. So you know. Uh, I'm going to throw another name out there. The Charlotte Hornets have LaMelo Ball. That's one I could who see. They have not done a particularly great job of surrounding with talent um, for incredibly disgusting reasons. They lost a stud power forward of theirs from the roster who I hope is not permitted to return back to the roster. Mm-hmm. This would be a, ra- a way to replace that play-finishing production that that uh, you know that guy brought to the table for them riley for your money where would collins best fit be going forward i can't see it being atlanta chris you hit the nail on the head for what i was about to say in that the culture is kind of disintegrating there you're not in a win now position necessarily although the record is still somewhat good i think that's going to fall off a cliff at a certain point but where do you think his best destination will be see i agree uh not atlanta the atlanta thing's crazy to me though because Atlanta normally is known for being a very good offensive team, and yet their defense has been – it's been like the opposite. Atlanta's offense is playing not that well, and they're known for being an offensive team. Um, It's just the whole thing is weird. Trey and DeJounte play together well, and then when they're separate, it's kind of when the team lacks. I don't think that Atlanta would be a good (laughs) – I wouldn't want to send anyone to Atlanta right now because of the culture. And if, Chris, what you say is true, uh, the behind-the-scenes stuff. I mean, Trey Young missing practice. DeJounte Murray is now out. I don't know. I definitely would not say Atlanta, though. I wouldn't want to send anyone to Atlanta. I'm still holding out that things do go well for Atlanta, though, with DeJounte Murray and Trey Young. I know I said last week that I think that once they uh, work together a little more, things can go better. But now I'm starting to take back what I said last week after how the culture's been going. Well, if it's going to have to turn around, it'll have to start tonight. They are in Brooklyn, so with that, a perfect hey. little segue But they're both here. out tonight, so it's DeJounte and Trey Young. But they're still playing the Nets, so they still got to win the games at the end of the day, that's and true. that starts with a one-game thing. Dealing with your Brooklyn Nets, I might add, who've been playing much better basketball, in my mind, 14-12, fourth in the Eastern Conference. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, when they're on the court, we know they're phenomenal. It's just about staying on the court for this team. And within that, obviously, there are issues. There's the idea that their defense is not that great. There's the Mm -hmm. idea that you really probably need someone to take the reins as a pure playmaker if you're them right now. But for the most part, the trajectory has been upward. Riley, I'll start with you here on this one first. For them to compete in the playoffs, maybe even win a round, what is the tangible thing that needs to happen going forward? Is it a move? Is it something that they can do 
as a unit already? Is there something even tangible on the table for them to win around in the playoffs to get there? Oh, I, I mean, off rip. I mean, if we look at the start of the season, they started five and one, and then in the last six games, it was the opposite. Um, or they've been five and one in the last six games, other way around, and they started off one and five. And at first, I honestly thought the issue was all the Kyrie drama. And then once the big shakeup happened, once he started uh, not playing, but then once they replaced the coaching and had Jack Vaughn in there, we've seen a huge shift. So I think that shows me that Steve Nash was a big issue for the Nets. Um, I also think getting rid of Cam Thomas would be very beneficial for the team. I'm a Cam Thomas hater. I started off, you know, saying, play Cam Thomas, play Cam Thomas. Let's see what he has. Let's see what he has. And he's just left me disappointed. I mean, I think Edmund Sumner has proved that he plays a lot harder and that he makes a strong case for why he should play above Cam Thomas. Um, He just runs the floor a lot better. I mean, his three-point shot needs some help too, but it's not like Cam Thomas has shown anything impressive in that category anyways. So, I mean, they're definitely playing way better as a team. 20 assists last night, which is now the highest assist total for Brooklyn in any half this season. I think a couple trades or some shakeups to the lineup would be nice. And just mainly a stronger bench. That's the problem. You have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant playing crazy minutes. And the bench is just a little weak. So, I think if we just had some roster shakeups, things would improve tremendously. But I definitely think that they are going to be a contender in the finals. So, producer Julia and Chris both know where I stand on the Brooklyn Nets, or where I've stood on the Brooklyn Nets, because that's a position that has changed over time. Mm-hmm. Last summer, directly after the Boston Massacre, as I now call it, I had said the Nets were going to be right back in the playoffs. I had said that they could make a run in the Eastern Conference Finals, mm-hmm. because in my mind, Durant's back, Irving's back, those guys were just embarrassed badly. They have every reason in the world to want to play really, really well and show the world what they're still made of. Mm -hmm. I think that storyline has been heightened in one sense or another. Do I think it's likely to happen that they go all the way to the ECF? No, but there's a chance. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right when you say that Steve Nash needed to go. I really like what I'm hearing out of Jacques Vaughn Mm -hmm. because I've sat in press conferences with Steve Nash and the guy was very much uh, a passive personality. Seemed like a very nice guy, nothing against Steve Nash at all, but just not cut out for this they need market. Different. They needed something mm-hmm. different, and they needed something a little bit tougher, and I think Jacques Vaughn does that, even in a way where I don't think Ime Udoka could have done it, because mm-hmm. I think there's a little bit of a grittiness to Jacques Vaughn in the sense of, yeah, I'm not supposed to have this job right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I was an assistant coach here, I was literally the understudy for Nash, someone who was not doing all that well. The first choice of the Brooklyn Nets through the media, through what we've heard, we don't mm-hmm. know if this is true or not, was to go out and get Ime Odoka. Yeah. Yeah. So the yeah. fact that Jacques Vaughn has done so well Amazing. for me just shows the type of toughness he has to him, and I think he's got Kevin Durant's ear. I mm-hmm. do think that's something that needed to happen, is that when you have a superstar, you need to be able to tell him, look, we need more out of you, we need you to do X, Y, Z. And I think Jacques Vaughn's been able to do that with Durant based on the idea that he doesn't really give a damn who anybody is. Mm -hmm. Like, I think he acknowledges these guys are superstars, but when you're someone like Jacques Vaughn, it's easier to do that job almost Mm -hmm. because it doesn't matter if you get fired. You weren't supposed to be there in the first place. And I think that's kind of the key for Brooklyn going forward. And they got guys that are going to buy into that. Mm -hmm. Ben Simmons, Utah Watanabe, 
No one knew who this guy really exactly. was until this year. He's shooting the lights at the gym when he's on the court. Saying he's like one of the best shooters. Right. You know, he's uh, TJ Warren, someone that I really liked as a pickup because he's kind of that street ball player that fits what the Nets are trying to do. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're as good as Boston. I don't think they're oh, as good as Milwaukee. However, could they beat Atlanta, who they would play if the season ended today in the playoffs? Yes. yes. Could they beat Miami potentially? Maybe. Mm-hmm. See, I, I'm very, like, for me, the coaching is one of the biggest things. Like, I'm very impressed with Jack Vaughn's um, coaching this season because, for me, when you look at the league as a whole, I feel like a lot of teams have fell victim to bad coaching. I think that's a big issue. I mean, we have Tom Thibodeau. A lot of people don't like what he's done with the Knicks. Steve Nash obviously was the issue with the Nets. And I think Nate McMillan is another coach who's kind of failing his team. And I just think that with this shift, it made a noticeable difference with the Nets. And I think... They're only going to improve from here. Like I said, they started off 1-5. The last six games are now 5-1. and one. Uh, Kyrie Irving had a great two-way performance last night. Like, if there's just a stronger bench and they kind of just work together a little more as a team, you know, get those turnovers underway and just – I mean, I think it could go well. Like, like you said, I don't think they're going to beat the Celtics. The Celtics are very unstoppable right now. I mean, they have one of the best offensive records in NBA history, if not the best. But I definitely think the Nets are going to be an issue for a lot of people. Kevin Durant averaging 29.8 points per game. Kyrie at 24.9 points per game. Claxton on the boards playing really well. 8.7 rebounds per game. Chris, as far as the Brooklyn Nets are concerned, even with the upward trajectory, is this a team that can win a round in the playoffs in your mind? Uh, a round, yeah. And, and um, I think they got to make a move. For that to you know, for me to really be certain of that, but I think that's coming. Um, what would your ideal move be? Need a, need a better big man. Mm-hmm. Like Claxton should be coming off the bench. He can't be your play. He's not Kevon Looney. He's not like your no name. All of a sudden, playoff contribute. Like Looney has touch with the ball in his hands. Claxton's good defensively. He can be good off the bench. He'll be really good off the bench. If, 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 for me, I, I'm over here nose deep in stats. Um, Durant averaging five and a half assists on the season, but you look at his last ten games, he's averaging six. You look at his last five games, he's averaging six. But like Colin said, on the season, twenty nine point eight points per game. Last five games, thirty two point two points per game. So this guy is over his last five games doing six assists and thirty two points. Over his last ten games, I believe it is uh, twenty nine points and six assists. Like. He is the offense for Brooklyn. Kyrie is able to just kind of be this mercenary scorer who Mm -hmm. doesn't need to rack up assists. He had nine the other day. I know that against uh, Toronto, I believe, but uh, maybe not. But uh, he did have nine assists the other day. Um, That I know. And the thing is that he doesn't have to get counted on for offensive production. He is the icing on the cake. Durant still good enough to be the rock. Um, But here's the thing. We know that this is a league where stars team up. And we know what happens when stars team up and mm-hmm. they forget to build out a defense and they forget to build out a bench. And Patty Mills at 37 years old is the sixth man. And it's just like Durant. Let's talk about it like this. Last season, right, we're seeing what it takes for the Nets to be good, okay? It takes KD scoring 30 points a game and averaging six assists per game on top of that because Kyrie being out for so long turned him into a really good playmaker. Mm-hmm. Credit to him for mastering that part of his game. Now he is a really good playmaker. He's still been one. And with his pretty much like perfect offensive play, the Nets are, what, barely above 500? You look to last year's playoffs. 
the stars that the vaunted Boston Celtics defense played. And I make this point a lot. They played Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler had a 40-point game against them. Yes, sir. Kyrie Irving, 39-point game. KD, nothing close to 40. Curry, 40. Giannis, 40. Everyone, every star, every single player that the Boston Celtics played that is called a star in the NBA scored 39 or more points on them, except for Kevin Durant, who I think hit 31 like yeah. once. So, If even, that was... So for me, I look at what it takes for the Nets to be good in the regular season. I look at how likely that is to happen in the postseason. I'm not buying it. I, maybe they get they lose in the first round again, four to three this year instead of getting completely swept. You know, know like uh, 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 KD getting swept by the team that went on to lose to the team that he left to go build his own team because mm-hmm. he was too good for that team. It's it's just that's this guy's career. I just think he's playing a lot stronger this season in general. And another thing, uh, to me, that's crucial. That will determine how he, he averaged thirty points a game last season and six and a half assists a game last season. He's and just what leading the, so much better though. Playoffs. He had to step up with the whole Kyrie situation. I think he's leading yeah, so the se- oh, second oh, year in a row where wait, KD wait, t- had to step up out, with time the Kyrie. Out, time out, time out, time out. I love KD more than probably many other NBA fans. No. I don't know if he stepped up <laughs> not a with the Kyrie situation. He didn't say anything with the Kyrie situation. Yeah, well, I'm not saying said something. He about said the Jack Squat. He just he looked at the camera anything. and said, well, geez, no, I, I it's mean, kind of bad that this happened. I ah. mean, on the court, I think he stepped up as a leader. Well, I that's mean, what, with the loss the of Kyrie, though, with the loss of Kyrie, games were going well. Like, that's everyone fair. thought that the Nets were just going to crumble right there and then. There was a lot with the coaching shakeup as well as with Kyrie not being on the team, which is one of their star players. But I think Kevin Durant stepped up as a leader on the court. Off court, I don't know about that. There's no uh, determination. Kevin that. Durant, eight turnovers against Boston, <laughs> six against the Orlando <laughs> Magic, Josh. five against the Indiana Pacers, four turnovers against the Memphis Grizzlies, shout out Julia Moss, and four turnovers <laughs> against okay. the Toronto Raptors. He's Listen, really stepping up. Listen, they're not up. beating the Celtics, I don't think. He's really but I do up, think. Yeah. That they're going, I think. Look at just how it's been going these last six games, and just how the end of the season. They're I think Julius Randle has a better assist to turnover oh. ratio than Kevin Durant. Right okay, now. all Durant slander Randall. aside, he's one of the best players in the league when healthy. Top he's yes. supposed to lead by example because that's kind of his thing. In terms mm-hmm. of vocality, I don't know if I saw it. To your point on the turnovers, that goes away if the Nets can get someone that runs the point like a point guard, and not someone that's shooting over at the Y like Kyrie does. Now he's very good at that. But to win an NBA championship, you might need someone that can run the point more traditionally. I bring all of this up because we've been kind of beating around the bush when it comes to you mean like the ben best Simmons? team. I was just about to well, say Well, Ben right now is out. He's back tonight against Atlanta. Brooklyn playing those Hawks, as we mentioned, at Barclays. Knicks over in Charlotte. That's a big thing for me. Like ben I, Simmons? If Ben Simmons... Like, Will I, Ben Simmons? No, I'm saying it's a big thing for me to determine what happens with the rest of the next season as well as the postseason because Ben Simmons is a crucial part of this team. I mean, he's that, one of the best You passers. are in an awful situation if Ben Simmons is a the, crucial if part of your team. No, I'm, that's what, but from a passing perspective, he is one of the best passers on the net. So if I, he's, I can... he's just injury prone and inconsistent. So if he stays healthy and stays consistent for the remainder of the season, then there's better chances. But if he keeps getting hurt and keeps finding reasons to not play, little things just put him out. And I just think he lacks consistency. But if that shifts, I think this postseason – will go a little better for the Nets. Seth Curry has been more impactful than him this year, like full stop. 
and he plays the I same would, position that Kyrie Irving does. Ben, ben Simmons plays, what, half the games? And, I, and ben Simmons is one of the best passers on the team, though. I think Ben Simmons is very crucial for that. I he, can get behind the idea. He uses that Curry, talent Seth to Curry's not racking even... racking up points. I mean, what do you have, like 20 points last night? Ben doesn't even average six assists a game. He's not... I can get behind the idea that, in theory, Ben Simmons is supposed to be a critical passer. Guys, we are running a little bit short on time here. want to get your points on one more final topic. Let's we have it. about three to four minutes or so. We've been it. talking about him. The Boston Celtics are a legitimate title contender. I have longed to say it for one on Pick and Pod. Haven't been able to say it really since last summer, but even that was a little bit of a surprise in my mind. This team just keeps on rolling and finding ways to win. Jason Tatum, I don't know if you guys read, there was a slam article, clearly affected by the end of that final series against the Warriors, wanted to come out and play at an MVP caliber level. He's done that. They creamed the West's best team right now. <laughs> the Phoenix Suns beat them 125 to 98. They're now the second best. When, no, the second <laughs> now best the second on best. Night. Tatum with 25 points. Grant Williams with 14 points. Jalen Brown, 25. Malcolm Brogdon, 16. I look at this team, when healthy, as one of the best in the East. And they could get back Danilo Gallinari in the playoffs. Even still. The big question to me is, can they stop Giannis Antetokounmpo? And I don't know if that's going to happen when... Chris Middleton well, is Robert also healthy. Williams is, the, is, is he going to be healthy too? Because I don't know what we're going to get when Time Lord comes back. Well, here's the thing. I think it might take longer for him to get back than a lot of people were expecting because he wore out that knee in the finals last season. I think that's going to extend his recovery time. Full stop. Here's the thing, though. You're getting 30 points a game from Jason Tatum, who's also averaging a near double-double. Just two more rebounds a game would do that for him. And four assists. That's cool. That's very good. Tatum... You know, establishing himself as a top six, seven player in the league, like easily, right? That's good. The Celtics can now contend because they've got a dude. They've got a guy, right? But what's more important to me is what you're getting from Jalen Brown this season, who's kind of been on one in his last 10 games. You look at his season stats 27 under 20, 26 and a half points per game, seven rebounds, three and a half assists, already great. But 29 points per game, almost 8 rebounds a game, and 4.2 assists over his last 10. This guy is on a scorcher right now, averaging fewer than two point, uh, averaging fewer than three assist, three turnovers per game. Sorry, like this is just really efficient and really effective play, and you know he brings it on defense too. That's what makes this Boston team so special. For me, it's literally just is Robert Williams healthy in the postseason? And if Robert Mazzulla stepped into it in the head coaching situation. I mean, you couldn't have gotten a better situation. Well, I'm pretty sure he was the guy who turned around your defense last season and switched the scheme that Robert Williams played. Instead of having, uh, it was it was one of the assistant coaches. Essentially, Robert Williams was kind of confined to the middle, like the Knicks do with Mitchell Robinson or Hartenstein, as we talked about. Um, they started switching him onto the he perimeter. He started put he started uh. with Williams on the perimeter, so he could when switches would happen, Williams would get put in the paint, right. and this literally saved the Celtics season and got them to the NBA Finals. That's what earned him. The you know interim now, which was very effective against Giannis, or as effective as it could be against. So that's Giannis. what I'm saying. Uh, if Robert Williams is back, the Celtics are contenders. They have a shot as as they have as good of a shot as any other team does, if not the best shot in the league. But if Robert Williams gets back and is missing games here or there, shaky. You know we're hearing oh before every playoff game he's getting the knee drained and he's getting the shots and what. Then I'm not as confident in that team as I would be in a team like Milwaukee if fully healthy. Riley, your thoughts on these Boston Celtics before we wrap things up here? I mean, I I'm not a Celtics fan whatsoever, but I have to put my bias aside, and I think they're going all the way. I think Ooh. this is their year. 
I think they're going all the way. I mean, they have one of the best offenses in league history. And, I mean, just the fact that uh, yesterday's game during the Suns, not only did they beat them, who are the number one team in the West, they won by almost 30 points. And I think that speaks volumes. I just think they're such an unstoppable force. And they learned from last season in the finals what needed to change. I think that, like you said, that really hurt Jason Tatum. And, I mean, five players on their roster are averaging over 43% from deep. The depth on the team is just unreal, and they've acquired so many accolades this season. I think it would be unfortunate and a surprise if they didn't go all the way. I've seen this movie too many times before to <laughs> say for a fact that it's going to happen, but the Boston Celtics certainly rolling right now, 21-5. and Their next game, Saturday night primetime in Golden State against Steph Curry and hey. those Warriors. That's going to do it for us on Pick and Pod. Along with Chris Persian and Narayui Lucas, I'm Colin Lochran saying so long and have a good weekend. Pick and Pod is a production of WFUV Sports.